If I've not met you, my name is Tanner Brack, and I'm the student pastor here. And so, Pastor Mark, he's on vacation, and so I have the joy and the pleasure to get to teach us this morning. And so, I got a text from Mark this morning saying that he was going to be watching. Um, And so, one, he's a better man than me because if I was at the beach, there's no shot I'd be watching church right now. Um, But I also don't know whether I should be just really honored that he's just so excited to see what I'm going to say and he can't wait to hear what we're going to learn together or if he's just really, really worried and has to be prepared for the phone calls and the emails. Um, But I... In all seriousness, I'm grateful um, for the opportunity to to teach us this morning, and we're going to be in John chapter 11 um, as we continue this series in the book of John, and we're in a passage that kind of shifts the book of John for us, and so we've been following Jesus as he and his disciples have been walking through the life together that Jesus has been performing signs and wonders, and today he does a miracle that then shifts the rest of the book, and the focus turns from what Jesus' ministry is doing to where Jesus is headed, and it's to the cross. And so um, as I was thinking about this, this passage, um, there are three things that we're going to see about Jesus that we've likely heard or that we likely know But a lot of times we hear these things and we lose the wonder and we lose the beauty of the truths about Jesus that we're going to unpack this morning. And so I'm going to give those to you and then I'm going to illustrate that really quickly. And so the first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus has a greater plan. And so we know that Jesus is over all things, that he knows what's going to happen. And so we're going to see that Jesus has a greater plan. We're also going to see that Jesus is our greatest comfort. That no matter what we're walking through with life, in life, Jesus is our greatest comfort. And then we're also going to see that Jesus has power over death, like we just sang. That there is nothing, not even death can hold Jesus, but Jesus has power over all things. And so I mentioned how like, we likely have heard about these truths about, about Jesus and about who he is. But a lot of times I think we lose just how incredible these truths are. Like this past week, you may or may not have seen fireworks. Like if you went to the Fort Worth fireworks show, sorry, that you might have caught about two fireworks before the grass fires shut it down. But I remember last year, I lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and I went to a fireworks show and it blew my mind away. There were years prior that I had seen fireworks, maybe a small show, maybe neighbors who woke me up at 11 or midnight or 1 a.m. with fireworks. Um, But I went to this fireworks show, and I just remember laughing like a giddy child, like the first time I'd ever seen fireworks. And as I've been thinking about this passage, I think that that happens to us so many times. That we hear about Jesus, that we see who he is, but because we've heard these things time and time again, it loses the wonder. And so hopefully this morning, as we see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, we can be reminded of the beauty and the glory and the wonder that we have in who Jesus is. And so in John chapter 11, we'll have it on the screens, um, but if you have your Bible or your phone or your journal with John in it, we'll be in John chapter 11. Um, And gotta love that that my time to preach, I have 50-something verses that we've got to cover together, but don't worry, we're going to hop around, we won't read them all. But John chapter 11, we're going to read the first seven verses. So it says... Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. 
No, it is for the glory of God, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So Mary and Martha, they're worried about their brother. He is sick and things aren't looking good. And so they are sitting there and they're like, we're worried. We don't know what to do. And so they send Jesus a note. They're, and they're confident that the note's going to get to Jesus. Like they send a note because this isn't just some random family. This isn't somebody who has just heard about Jesus, who has heard all the signs and wonders that he's done. They haven't just heard that Jesus could potentially heal their brother. They know Jesus. And so they send a note to Jesus. And and we can see that Jesus knows them well because they don't even name Lazarus in their note. They just say, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. And so Jesus immediately, because he knows this family and has a good relationship with him, is going to think of Lazarus as soon as he hears the one that you love. As well as we're seeing in verse 5 that, that it says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so, so this is a family that Jesus loved. There's a strong relationship and Jesus has a deep love for this family. And so, so you and I, we might think that Jesus' natural reaction is going to be to drop everything and to go to this family. Like, that's my expectation, right? But that's not what happens. And so it took about, after Mary and Martha sent this message to Jesus, it took about a half day to get to Jesus. And then where Jesus and his his disciples were, it was going to take him about a day to get back to them. And so, of course, Jesus was going to drop everything. Like, we would have hopped on the next plane to get to the family, or we would have packed up a suitcase and jumped in our car, and we would have sped as fast as we could to get to our friends, right? But this isn't what Jesus does. Instead, Jesus waits. Like he, he waits two days before beginning his journey back to Bethany, where his friends are anxiously awaiting him. And Jesus hears a desperate message from his friends, and he waits. And the natural question is why? Like why, if Jesus loves these people, why, if Jesus has a good relationship with these friends, would he, would he wait? And he says... In verse 5, where I take the back, verse 4, that this sickness isn't going to end in death. The purpose is for God's glory so that God's son, Jesus, that way Jesus would receive glory through it. And so then Jesus decides to, to go back after two days, and his disciples aren't thrilled. And so we're gonna, I'm going to summarize the next few verses for us. And so his disciples aren't thrilled because they had just left Judea, where Bethany is. They had just fled from the Pharisees and the people in that surrounding town who had been threatening to kill Jesus. And so in their conversation, Jesus just tells the disciples, Lazarus is just sleeping. Like he's taking a nap. He's going to be fine. And so his disciples are like, we don't get it. Like, why would we travel a day? Why would we go and risk our lives and risk your life if he's just sleeping? Like, and so, so what is the point in us going? So his disciples are trying to keep Jesus from going. But then in verse 14, Jesus drops the bomb on the disciples that Lazarus has died. And so they leave, and they go to Jesus' friends. And we're going to jump back in to verse 17 in John 11. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. So Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the, at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So when Jesus finally gets to Mary Martha, each of them respond in the same way. They say the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Like, God, if you had just come when we called you, if you would have come sooner, our brother wouldn't be dead. And so they are sitting here, and they thought that Jesus would come sooner. Like, that was their plan, that we know Jesus. We don't know what to do, but we know that if we call Jesus, if we tell Jesus, then he's going to come, and everything's going to be okay. Like, there's in their question, it's almost like, Jesus, you're four days late. Like, he's already died. You're late. And I'm sure that there's a question that they were trying to ask is, why didn't you come sooner? Or maybe a question that I would be asking, and maybe you would too, is, God, Jesus, did you not care about us? Like, because if you were here, if you cared about us, my brother wouldn't be dead. Like, haven't we all asked similar questions at some point in our lives when, when things aren't going the way that we want them to, when God doesn't answer a prayer, when we are desperately begging God to answer in a specific way, and he does something differently? Like, when, when we ask God, why are you making us go through this specific situation, this pain, this suffering? Or maybe we ask him, why did you let this happen when we specifically asked you to? Don't you care about me? And maybe we ask the question just out of like, we, we trust that God's going to answer the, the prayer that we ask. Or maybe it's out of just, we want to get out of this situation or we want to be comfortable. Or maybe we ask out of an entitlement that things should be the way that we want them to. But regardless, at the root of these questions, we're asking God, don't you care about me? And I feel like that's what Mary and Martha had to be asking, right? Like, Jesus, we thought you loved us. Like in this passage, John is making it clear that Jesus loves them. And so we thought that you would care and that you would come. But what we see is that Jesus had a greater plan. That doesn't always feel great to say in the midst of pain and suffering, right? But Jesus had a greater plan that while Mary and Martha were asking the question, how do we get out of this, this situation? How do we get out of this without losing our brother Jesus? is asking a better question. Though Mary and Martha's question was not bad, wanting to avoid their brother's death and the sadness that came with it, Jesus was asking a better question. How do I glorify God through this? Because Jesus could have, at the snap of a finger or at just a simple word, healed Lazarus. Like Jesus didn't even have to go to Bethany for Lazarus to be healed or to be raised from the dead. Jesus could have healed him immediately and everyone would have been so relieved. He could have just gone straight to Bethany and he would have been there and he would have comforted them. But that's not what Jesus did because Jesus knew that this trial would instill 
or would instill a deeper faith for Lazarus' family, that it would instill a deeper faith and trust for Mary and Martha, seeing what God was going to do, and it would bring more honor to God the Father, that through Jesus' delay, God's greatness would be on display. And it was Jesus' love that, that kept him from going immediately. It was Jesus' love for them that delayed his coming to him because Jesus had a greater plan and his plan was to show them a glimpse of God's glory, to show them a clear picture of Jesus' power which would deepen their faith and trust in him, that they would see that Jesus is God, that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, who'd come to forgive them of their sins. And so Jesus' timing, because he had a greater plan, was no accident. In verse 17, we see that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And so when Mary and Martha sent the word of, Jesus, of, of Lazarus being sick, it took them about a half day to get the message to Jesus. And what's likely what happened is that Lazarus passed soon after the messenger left Mary and Martha. And then Jesus hears the message, and then he waits two days. And then he begins traveling to the family, and it takes another day. And so Jesus' waiting took about four days because Lazarus had been in the tomb. But Jesus does this because in that time, there were some Jewish or cultural beliefs that, that did not consider someone to be dead until after three days had passed when they died. Because people believed that the spirit of the person hovered around the body, trying to re-enter into the body before finally giving up and departing. And so Jesus waiting until after the three days passed ensured that nobody, no matter what someone believed, if they were there, they were going to consider Lazarus dead. Completely dead. There was no hope. There is no changing the status that Lazarus was dead. As well as Jesus' delay allowed time for a crowd of people from Jerusalem to make the two-mile journey to Bethany so that way they could mourn with Mary and Martha. So that way this crowd of people could also be witnesses to the power of Jesus. Like Jesus knows he's about to do something extraordinary and for God to receive more glory, and so, which was the purpose of Lazarus' sickness and death. And so Jesus' intent was to have more witnesses to receive the, or to be witnesses to, to God's glory. And so Jesus' delay to you and I may seem careless, but let's not miss that it was his love for his people that drove him to respond in a way that was greater than the plan Mary and Martha had of Jesus just healing Lazarus before anything bad happened. But it's hard to trust, trust God when those things happen, right? It's hard to trust God and his love for us when he responds in a way that's different than the way we would want him to. Because we think that God loves us when things happen the way we want them to, but in, in all honesty, but God's love is better than what our plan is. That when we see God's glory, it doesn't counteract God's love for us. But when we see God moving away that is for his glory, we see the beauty more deeply of God's endless love for his people. And so Mary and Martha, in the depth of their pain, they could, they could doubt God's care for them. But God's glory, God's power that he was about to show them was going to deepen their understanding of his love for them. So God's plan was greater than what Mary and Martha could see because they could only see that God's brother had, or that their brother had died. But God was working the situation to do something greater, to point many people back to him as the Messiah who came to save the world. But they were still in pain, right? Their brother had died. They could no longer be with their brother. And they were still in the depth of their pain. And so we see our second point, that Jesus is our greatest comfort. So we'll read in verse 32 to 35, and we'll see that Jesus is our greatest comfort. 
So when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid to him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Like, can we just pause for a second? Like, verse 35 right there is the shortest verse in the Bible, but it may be one of the most powerful verses that we get to see. Like, Jesus wept. He sees the pain of his people. He sees that they are in deep sadness and that they are hurting, and Jesus weeps with them. Like, and this is with Jesus knowing what he's going to do. Like, Jesus throughout this story had repeatedly been saying that this wasn't going to end in death for Lazarus. Like, Jesus has been promising that. He knows how the story's going to end. Like, in verse 4, he tells his disciples upon receiving the message that Lazarus is sick, that this won't end in death. In verse 11, when he's talking to his disciples about going back to Judea, he says, Lazarus is just sleeping. In verse 23, he tells Martha, your brother will rise. Jesus knows what he's about to do in just a few minutes. Jesus, from the time from being... From hearing that Lazarus was sick, he knows the end of the story, that Lazarus would be alive. And Jesus was going to do something to take away their suffering. But before Jesus moves to end their suffering, to moves, before he moves to end their problem or to fix their problem, Jesus enters their grief and their sadness with them. Like Jesus is moved to tears and he cries with Mary. He doesn't just try to comfort them by saying, hey, I've got a greater plan. Like, just trust me. Like he, he, he moves to tears. He weeps with them because he loves them and he knows that words can't comfort them with the sadness that they are feeling. They're in an unimaginable sadness and hurt because their brother is dead and Jesus enters with them. And so I know in a room this size that the, some of you have experienced that pain of death. Maybe recently, maybe in a in years prior, but some of you know the pain that comes with losing a loved one where you can no longer hug them or, or kiss them or you can't, you can't talk to them or hear their voice. Like You know the devastation that death is that is we are separated from someone we love, that we can't ever be with them, that they are no longer with us anymore. Or maybe for others of us, we're, we've watched someone's body experience sickness and, and the, the pain of, of cancer or, or something that, that they're walking through where we have no hope because we can't heal them. That we're left feeling helpless and hurting because we can't feel them. Or maybe there's sadness in the room because your life doesn't look like anything you hoped it would. That you don't have the job that you hoped for, that you're not living in um, the, this lifestyle that you wish you could, that you don't have friends like you like you would like, that you feel an intense amount of loneliness, that, that you are feeling a pain of life feeling different than you want. Or maybe it's you, you've experienced pain of an estranged relationship where you've had an, an interaction with someone and, and then you guys just went your separate ways or you felt betrayed by someone. Like In this room, we have all had a moment where we have experienced pain and we have wept over that pain, right? Like I have. And so maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I imagine that we all have experienced that pain and we can find comfort that Jesus weeps with us. Like, think about that. The God of heaven, the God who, with the words of his mouth, spoke this world into creation, that he is moved to tears when he sees his people hurting. Like, Jesus' weeping shows his sorrow and his sadness of the reality of suffering and death. Because this world's not supposed to be this way. 
Like there's not supposed to be death or suffering or hurting or sickness or sadness. Like there shouldn't be this. Like that was not God's intent when he created the world for us to experience the brokenness, brokenness that we experience. And so Jesus in his humanity, though he is still God, in his humanity is experiencing the brokenness of the world and he weeps. He acknowledges the, the sadness of the reality and he feels it even with the, the, the knowledge of what he's about to do. Like we have a God who weeps with us. That I imagine in that moment, Jesus was looking forward to the day that is promised in Revelation 21 verse 4 when Jesus says, or when, when, when the word says, God will wipe every tear from her eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning, crying, or pain. So as Jesus wept, I imagine that he wished he could wipe the tears from, from Mary and Martha's eyes and make that day then. But Jesus weeps with Mary and Martha. And so we have a great comfort to know that our God who took on human flesh and lived, he lived experiencing everything that we do. He's experienced every sorrow and sadness that we have. He's experienced every pain and suffering that we have. He's lost friends. He was betrayed by friends. He was hurt by people. And so in the depths of our hurts, we can find the greatest comfort in Jesus because he's experienced what we have and it moves him to end our pain. So we'll jump back in in verse 38. So Jesus once more moved, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. So I'm just going to pause right there. Like, isn't that the perfect sister or sibling response? Like, like I'm hurting and I want you to do something about it, but I don't want to smell how bad my brother stinks right now. Like, like that is a weird, like that's a funny moment thrown into this, this story that, that a sister is saying, he's going to smell. Like, don't you know that? Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will, that you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hand and feet wrapped in strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so picture this scene. Like, if I'm there, I'm going to be like hesitantly excited. Like, sweet, he's alive, but he kind of looks like a mummy. Like, like, he, like, I'm excited, but like I need somebody to pinch me to make sure that this is real life and that I'm not just dreaming or making this up. Like, like picture this scene that everyone has just been weeping, but then they see Lazarus walk out of a grave. And I read a commentary earlier this week that, that said that Jesus had to clarify and call out just Lazarus by saying Lazarus come out. Because if he had not clarified that Lazarus come out, then everyone in the grave would have come out. So Jesus says, like what we finish in verse 23, or 43, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Like, Lazarus is no longer a dead man. He's alive. Like, and I'm sure that this really comforted Mary and Martha, that her brother is no longer dead. Jesus, you're here. Sweet. He's no longer dead. But that's not the greatest point of Lazarus being raised. It's the point, for, the point that is to be seen is this, that Jesus has power over death. That Jesus is greater than death. Like we know that, right? If we know the Christian story that Jesus died on the cross and was raised again, we know that that is the truth about Jesus. 
This simple truth is incredibly powerful that Jesus has power over death because the miracle is more about more than just about removing their grief. The miracle was about the power of Jesus over death. And verse 25, which we kind of skipped over, is one of the most incredible statements that Jesus says in all of his ministry. And it's, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just say that I can resurrect people or that I have life. Jesus says that I am life. I am the resurrection. And so Jesus is not just talking about an ability or a possession. Jesus is talking about his identity. Like that Jesus himself is life. That he is the one who holds life. That in all things they find life through Jesus. Jesus is making a bold I am statement so that way we and the people there would know that Jesus is God. That was the point of the story, that that he needed people to see that God the Father had sent Jesus to the earth, that Jesus was God. But like if, if Jesus didn't have power over death, the statement's empty, right? Like if Jesus says Lazarus come out and nothing happens, then it means that him being the resurrection of life is just a bunch of baloney. Like that Jesus... Having power over the death had to be proved through the raising of Lazarus or, and then himself later because Jesus' power over, over death displayed that Jesus was not just a mere human, that he is God, that all of his claims up until this point about being the Messiah, that being God, that being the Son of God were true. Because ever since Adam and Eve rebelled in the Garden of Eden and sinned against God, death was a consequence of sin. The death entered into the world as a consequence of sin. And so death has been promised for humanity ever since. That it's our greatest enemy because it's the thing that we can't do a thing about. Because our sin requires a penalty and it's death. Because we are all sinners, no one in this room and no one who walks the earth gets to escape death from life on this earth. And it's painful because there's no more moment in life where we feel more hopeless than a person dies. Because it's all over. Like we can't do anything. There's no more chances. There's no way out of this. Death has won and that's it. That, That had been the story up to the point when Jesus is on earth. But in this moment, Jesus acts in a way that he says, not anymore. Like, death, you are no longer victor. Death, you no longer have the last say, I do. And so because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he holds power over death. The death is not the end for those who believe in Jesus. That through, though every story may not end up where Lazarus, like Lazarus, where everyone gets to be raised, we still have the hope that death is not the end. That, we, that those who believe in Jesus will not experience death, but have eternal life with God. Like this is good news for those of us who are in Jesus, that death is not the end, but it's just the beginning of eternal life with God. That we have hope beyond death because our God holds power over death. So in verse 45, after Jesus raises Lazarus, it kind of jumps pretty 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 past what happens. Like there's not much description of how the people celebrated or the interactions beyond Jesus's death, but we see clearly that God holds power over death, that Jesus holds power over death. And then in verse 45, it talks about 
some people who witnessed the event believing in Jesus as the Messiah for the first time. And then it goes to where some people go and tell the, the, the Sanhedrin and Pharisees who were, uh, they had both political and spiritual, like religious power. And they tell them, and in them hearing that Jesus raised somebody from the dead, they make it very clear Jesus has to die. And their eyes are, are intently set and they are de- determined to kill Jesus. And eventually they would, but not because they were able to trap Jesus and catch him in a lie and try him because he was guilty. No, they weren't. It's not that they were clever enough to catch Jesus and to kill him, but it was because in John 10 that we studied a couple weeks ago and Caleb referenced earlier that, that Jesus says, I lay my life down on my own accord, that I have authority to lay my life down and the authority to take it back up that Jesus dies because he chose to die, that he laid his down his life to die for our sin, to cleanse us and forgive us, to make access to God possible so that we could have life with God. And Jesus dies to display power over death once and for all by raising himself back to life. That these people, that they were able to kill Jesus because Jesus allowed them to, because Jesus knew that once again, his death, suffering, would be the pathway for life for those of us who would believe in Jesus. That once and for all, through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, that Jesus would declare victory over sin and death, that, it would stare it in the fa- that he would stare it in the face and say, I'm the king, that I'm the one who wins over you. And through Jesus' life, we get to share in his victory over death. For those who have a relationship with Jesus, when we die, we will live forever through Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus' power over death distinguishes him as the one true God. And Jesus' power over death gives us life through him. And so as we close, there's a couple different responses that we can have. And so maybe our response in the first way is by confessing, God, I, I need to give up my plan that I'm trusting my plan and what I can do more than I trust you. And so maybe we need to respond by saying, all right, God, here's my plans. Here's my five-year plan that I've been working to a T, and I want to trust you, and I want to begin asking a question of how can I give you more glory than I have been? Or maybe for others of us, the response is just being willing to weep and know that God is with us in the depths of our pain, weeping with us. And so we can respond by weeping over the pain in our life, knowing that Jesus cares for our pain. Or maybe, for some of us, our response is celebrating the fact that Jesus holds power over death. That it's not just something we say, and it's religious words that we hold on to, but it is truth and power that we get to celebrate. That we don't have a God who is in a grave dead somewhere, that we could find his grave or his bones that have that have decayed, but we get to celebrate a king who is alive. That maybe we together get to celebrate in the fact that he has power. And so whatever way that you need to respond, I'm going to give us a minute just to, just to spend time praying to God. Maybe it is even just asking, God, would you make this thing real to us? That I've lost the wonder of who you are and what you can do and the power that you have. And so let's respond by just spending a second seeing how we need to respond. And then I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come and lead us in another song.